Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Joining me for this episode of Beneath the Wing is Master Sergeant Brian Dobler. The 133rd Airlift Wing's First Sergeant of the Year and former First Sergeant for the Logistics Readiness Squadron, Sergeant Dobler is a traditional guardsman, meaning he drills one weekend a month, as well as a few weeks for training and deployments, and balancing a full-time civilian career, and balancing a family, and being Megan's husband, and father of three boys. So, welcome. Thank you. Glad you joined me for Beneath the Wings. So when I say you were the first sergeant of the year for us, standard question, what is it you say you do here? What does a first sergeant do? And I actually legitimately just got asked this question by a guy who never, the concept is foreign to people that work out in the civilian world. Mm -hmm. What's a first sergeant? Yeah, so I I get that question. I just got that question a lot because they say, oh, you're in the military. What do you do? I'm a first sergeant. What's a first sergeant? So the way I kind of explain it is, is really, and the the thing that I love the most about the position of being a shirt, is you get to be your mission becomes the people. So you, that's really kind of how I explain it to people is say, you know, I don't want to liken it to HR, right? But that's kind of there's some there's some some intertwining of HR and being a first sergeant. So the way I like to explain it to people is as a first sergeant, you get to take care of people problems. You get to handle any concerns that come up, uh, help people navigate some maybe some tough life situations, have some difficult conversations with people. And the whole purpose of it is to make sure that the enlisted force is capable, is ready, and is um, mission, mission capable. So when you tell me it's kind of HR, but it's not because you're taking care of people issues, what are people issues? So a lot of the people issues kind of come up with um, things that are going on potentially in their in their personal lives. Hey, I you know I know that we have drill this weekend. This is what I have going on. My mom's in the hospital, right? Those kinds of issues, or the bigger ticket items, right? Like it comes up. This person was going for their security clearance, and we discovered that they have tens of thousands of dollars in debt that they're about to default on. And so, how do we how do we manage those things? And so, as the first sergeant, right? It's I, it's my responsibility to be that person, to to kind of be there for the member, help them navigate. Hey, this is what we can expect, kind of going forward, and also, you know, kind of helping uh, squadron leadership, like the commander and the chiefs and everybody, kind of navigate next steps and and how do we do this and take care of the airmen at the same time. Would you say that being a first sergeant is a leadership position or a management? position so i i personally i think it's more of a leadership position so what's the difference Mm, that's a very good question so to me a management position is one where you are sort of in in charge of 
the day-to-day operations, right? The scheduling, the the tasky stuff that needs to get done, right? That stuff. You're managing somebody. You're managing a system, managing a process. Leadership is kind of that that next level above where you really sort of have to be that go-to person for people when they're experiencing tough times, when they are they don't know necessarily what to do next, right? That's management. You know, management is going to take care of the day-to-day stuff, but leadership is that next step above. What are we, what are we thinking? You know, how is this going to potentially impact the next three to six months, right? Say, for instance, someone has a deployment coming up. Well, now you have this issue that could potentially impact their ability to deploy, right? Now you need those leadership skills to help that member manage the situation, manage the expectation that they're going to deploy while understanding that this is tough, right? Life issues come up all the time for all of us, and it doesn't make you necessarily a bad person, right? It's just... These things happen, and as a, as a first sergeant, you get to be that person that's there for them. Your mission is to make sure that they get a fair shake in things, that they can come to you and confide in you when they have an issue, and that they know that you're going to be there to do everything you can to take care of them, which to me is a little bit more of a leadership trait. It requires a high degree of trust between them, the people and you as a first sergeant, Absolutely. doesn't it? Yep. So when, in that relationship of trust, how do you build that? And this, this kind of goes to the every single organization, whether you wear a camouflaged uniform or a different colored uniform or a suit and tie or, uh, or a hard hat or any organization, the trust that is developed between people in that organization is is really important. And you stepped out of a role in security forces mm-hmm. and into a first sergeant role in a completely different organization. Mm-hmm. How did you build trust with people? To me, building trust kind of starts with letting them know that I'm genuine through my actions, right? It's, you can say that you're this or that or whatever, um, but ultimately it comes down to you have to exhibit those traits Right, that you want people to see in you, and you have to let them start to understand that and start to internalize that about you. So one of my big one of my big kind of tenets of when I come into a new position is not to come in guns a blazing, going, "I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that." No, come in, get acclimated to your environment, let other people get acclimated to you. Because I mean, a first sergeant coming into a unit from, you know, another squadron that doesn't understand the dynamics of you know, all of the dynamics that are in an LRS unit where you have other flights that, you know, are independent, you got to learn your role too, right? And learn your operating environment and understand some of the, some of the people dynamics, right? That are there. And then to me in doing that, that's how you get people used to you as well. So that's, that's always been one of my big tenets is I don't, I don't want to be one of the people that just comes in guns a blazing. And to me, that's how you start building trust. They know that you're not you're there for them, right? Not necessarily there for yourself, or you're not there to, you know, try to be a, you know, an organizational hero, right? Things like that. Um, and having real conversations with people, right? I, I love getting to know people, and so I'm an, I'm an, I'm I'm frequently asking people about their personal lives, right? Are you married? Do you got kids, right? And trying to relate to them if they do have kids, right? I remember what it was like not having kids and having all this time on my hands, mm-hmm. right? No more. Yeah, no more. Yeah. So just those kinds of real conversations to get to know the person um, that that I'm talking to. So you get to know 
more of the human side of people that do the work mm -hmm. in your squadron and and developing those relationships getting some rapport um one thing that i have learned through my career of working with human beings is they're going to break your heart totally they're going to do things that disappoint you just like raising kids mm -hmm. um, they're going to do things that are hard mm -hmm. they're going to go through things that are hard like you said it's one of the hardest things um, you know, protecting your human beings, of course, but what's one of the hard things about being a first sergeant? Some of the hard stuff you've had to deal with? I've had to deal with, you know, I, I would I would say the hardest is you, you have somebody that you think is really diligent in their life and they're and they're, you know, in a in a good place. And and then something happens and now Right. Let's let's say a disciplinary action that is now going to end their career, and having to approach that person and and be professional because there is a process that has to take place when you're talking about discipline, and there there are wheels that are spinning already that are that are that are going to spin. Right. The train is going to go down the tracks on this. There's no way to stop it, and you just you feel for the person because this is coming out of left field, and you know that. This military career is important to them. It means a lot to them, but it's going to end in the very near future. And my, I had to deal with that one time, and and it 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 was very difficult for me because I I got uncomfortable thinking about putting myself in 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 their shoes, how I would feel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, having been here this long, in my identity so closely tied to this uniform, I, it, it, it makes me it makes me sick to my stomach. I get anxious. I start my palms start to sweat just thinking about I've I've built this thing right, and this person built this thing as well, and now it's suddenly gonna it, it's gonna end yeah. very very near um, near term, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, one of the things that we have seen in this period that we're in. Uh, with the great resignation and people leaving the workplace or being very transient in the workplace is they're leaving well, people don't leave bad jobs they leave bad bosses and they would consistently say a bad boss is somebody who doesn't care about me mm -hmm. as a first sergeant you're kind of that caring person mm -hmm. even though the process stinks and we have to go through it I'm gonna be here to be the one that Mm -hmm. cares mm -hmm. through the whole thing even though it's awful for mm -hmm. everybody um, that's hard how do you handle your emotions through that who cares for the caregiver in this case so that's a really that's a really good question um, and you know with my background being in law enforcement right having to have those difficult really difficult emotional you know I, I liken it to my first DOA with the police department my first DOA was a guy who was in his early 60s and his brother walks in and lays down next to him and is pleading with him to wake up, right? And I'm brand new to the job. Mm. And so I've become very accustomed to sort of managing my emotions and detaching myself from those, especially having a brother and, you know, being close with him. Sure. Um, I had to learn very quickly at that time to, to manage my own emotions. And so when those moments come up, for me, it's I've got to share it, right? I've got to talk about it. I just have to, and that's where my wife, right, is has been such a, um, a solid support because I can talk to her about anything, you know. Um, 
and I and there's she understands right that she's you know she's she's she has been pivotal for me right yeah. to just kind of get those emotions off my chest everything's gonna be okay right and it's it's that's that's for me how I manage manage my emotions when those those things happen and you know I, sh I share I share those things with her and you know she she knows that I need to kind of talk it through um, you know and, and and I'm open talking about those things with just about anybody that will that will listen yeah. to so um, having other shirts going through the same same trials and tribulations helps as well so yeah. the first sergeant council is a is a big sounding board for all of us to say this is tough this stuff is tough yeah and you know especially when you know the new shirts show up and you know it's it's for those of us i mean when i came on as a shirt i mean it was a very big transitional period where a lot of us were new and so we were all kind of trying to figure it out together well i have some experience in this particular process but let's talk about you know this this is going to be tough yeah um and so really just kind of leaning on each other like yeah. that. having a good group of mm -hmm. colleagues mm -hmm. that are trusting in one another to be mm -hmm. emotionally vulnerable and professionally vulnerable saying hey i don't know everything or i don't know if i handle this well or i just need some good sage wisdom and yeah. guidance and trusting one another that's something that is so extraordinarily helpful mm -hmm. in these tough, tough positions. May is month of the military family. Yep. And you mentioned your wife being your sounding board and, and her being that helping person. We so frequently, when we talk about the sacrifice of the military and the military members, and then we talk about the sacrifice of the military families, the kids, the spouses, the parents who pick up the pieces when son or daughter deploys, Rarely do we talk about the emotional support that our military families give their spouses mm -hmm. when Huge. they come out here and serve. Because relationship and the person that serves to the left and right of you, those relationships are so key and it wears on our heart. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it when we get home. Yep. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I'm so glad that you've got a, a good helper in that. Great helper. At home. You mentioned shirt. Okay. So I introduced you. Brian is the first sergeant of the year, and then you refer to yourself as the shirt. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Where'd that come from? Yeah, I've done some. I've done a little bit because I'm. I'm. I've. I've been asked that too. Like, what's a what's a shirt? Why do they call them shirt? You know, and there's different names for it, right? The army calls them top. Um, I'm a big fan of the. Uh, I heard a. I heard a, a an appropriate slang term um, for. First sergeant is being the first sausage, right? And I think that's hilarious. I just, you know, it's never heard that one. army thing. I guess okay. it, I just um, so shirt is just kind of um, the quick way to say first sergeant, right? And it's in and it's that's kind of how I I liken it. And you know, a nickname, a nickname, which I kind of liken shirt to be as a nickname to me is 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 a sign of sort of acceptance, right? Because you don't give nicknames to the people that you don't particularly care for, right? Mm -hmm. It's um, so that that's that's what it is is to me is it's it's sort of like a an, an acceptance kind of kind of thing, you know, whether it be for the position at first, yeah, right. But then the person as you as you become um, acclimated and accepted into into a group. I've heard two different stories on that one. And I agree with you. We don't give nicknames to the people. So sure, it is a, it is a term of endearment it for is. that person mm -hmm. that carries the heart and the human soul of an organization. 
Um, one story was when that top enlisted leader in an organization, when they'd go to eat, they'd always eat last, which is always a good you know leadership mm-hmm. tenant. Um, boots would come, they'd always get the last bit of boots, they'd always get the last you know of everything. But when new uniforms came, they always got the first shirt. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I heard that one. And then work crews would go out and they'd be, you know, digging a trench or foxhole or whatever, and of course it's hot, so they'd all take their shirt off, but one person was in charge. And so when somebody would come up and, hey, who's in charge around here? Talk to the shirt. Talk to the shirt. Yeah. That's, that's so, funny. But I like the nickname one. It, it mm-hmm. just it does make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as a shirt, as a first sergeant, you did a ton of work uh, the last couple of years taking good care of airmen and soldiers and soldiers um, here at the wing during our activations. We've been downtown uh, after George Floyd was murdered. We sent folks off to Washington, D.C. This base was a very busy place. Um, What did you do as somebody that's supposed to carry that heart and soul of an organization and take good care of the people doing the work? Uh, What was your role as a first sergeant when we were actively doing Mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. military work? That's a really great question. So um, initially when, um, in 2020, when we had the initial activation, um, I wasn't quite a shirt yet. I actually got pulled back into this role with security forces and was given a security mission at the uh, at the armory. Um, but still already being in that position, still trying to, trying to embody that in, in taking care of people. We know that this is this is a, these are tough situations, right? This is where the rubber meets the road um, for us and, and what we do. So understanding that, you know, there are going to be people that are going to not have the things that they need, right? Which to me was kind of step number one, uh, especially when it came time for um, Operation Safety Net, right? It was a, everything was in place and then we had to hit execute before we were ready to hit execute. And now people are still missing things. There are certain things that just aren't quite at the forefront yet, right? Such as um, food, right? It was a big one. Um, you know, I go and the first thing I do when I get activated as a first sergeant for Operation Safety Net is I kind of go go around, okay, where are my people at, right? Because they're spread out all over the Capitol complex and in St. Paul. And I was responsible just for St. Paul. Um, Minneapolis hadn't quite been stood up yet. But where is everybody at? I need to know who who do I have, what am I dealing with, who do I need to support, um, you know, and in it being a joint operation, obviously there was a lot of army army soldiers as well, and so I, what do you guys need? That's my first question. What do you guys need? Like that that's, I I'm here to facilitate that. If that requires a phone call, if that requires me to go and and do something or go purchase something off that you guys don't have access to, right? That's what I'm here for, right? Because I want you guys, I understand that this is, this is, it's tough duty, right? Where we don't know exactly what's going to happen as this thing evolves. And so it's really, how can I best set you all up so that, yeah, it's a little less miserable, a little less tough emotionally, things Mm -hmm. like that. So that, you know, that's, that it came down to essentially just providing them with, something tangible that helped them get through it, right? So one of the big deficiencies was, you know, they're, they're, they're basically positioned in certain places and there's no, there's no way for them to just 
grab a drink, grab a snack, grab something like that. And thankfully, I was pointed in the direction of the Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network, and I reached out to that resource, and we were able to get donations from their support network, and they flooded us with Gatorades, right? Ooh, bottled water, mm-hmm. snacks, right? The things that these guys are going to need as they're, as they're waiting for something to happen. Um, and so we got, deliver, we got deliveries by the, basically by the van load and stocked these guys up. And that's such a huge thing for them because now we've we've brought them some sort of something that they can look at and just you know they can they can rely on that stuff to get them through the next couple of days or whatever else. And it was it was it was a fun moment for me because you know the Air Force guys are like great finally we get what we expect and the Army guys go where did you get all that stuff. Right, and they yeah. go, well, none of our guys are bringing us that stuff. I said, this stuff is for you too. You're right here with us. This there's stuff a, is. There's a big difference between a first sergeant in the army, 100, percent who run operations. Yep, and absolutely. First sergeant in the air force, absolutely, specifically there to take care of the people. Yep. who have to do the mission. Yep. Yeah. So it was um, that. And that was it was a great feeling, right? Because you know, obviously, you know, I care about these guys, and I yep. want them to. You know, I want them to, I know what it's like to sit and wait and wait and wait. It's a lot better to sit and wait and wait and wait if once in a while you can get up and go grab a bottle of water or go grab a snack or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then obviously facilitating other things that they, you know, mission essential stuff that they're, that they're needing like laundry, right? We had a big, we had a big issue with the laundry because yeah. they were basically basic training style, dropping them off in mesh bags at the hotel lobby saying, here, take my stuff. Well, not, you want to talk about trust, right? Wait until somebody's got all your, got all your, your uniforms, yep. right? Yep. And so that there becomes an issue there. Where'd our laundry go? Well, now that's an issue that I need to handle. And mm-hmm. so it's for me to figure out where, where in this process is the, is the problem. Was that the most rewarding thing you did or accomplished as a first sergeant? Or what would you say was... And, I, and I'm, I'm using past tense now because mm-hmm. you are doing something that's relatively painful, and that is after being a first sergeant, after achieving first sergeant of the year, after holding people's hearts and souls in your hands in an organization, you're taking the diamond off, and it's an emotional event. Mm-hmm. It's hard. What are you most proud of? That's a big one. Um that that one definitely was because that's that's really where you, short of deploying as a first sergeant, which I didn't get the opportunity to do, that's really where it's that's like I said before it's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like that's it's really why you're there. Um, you have people who are actively doing a mission, and there are some deficiencies for those people, and you get to be the person to um, bring some bring some. I don't know what you want to call it. Happiness. You want to bring them something that's just going to help them, help them get through. Right. It's it's a it's a nice gesture. Right. Do they need that stuff? No. Is it nice to have? Very much so. Especially when you're sitting waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen. Um, you know the other the other thing that's that's I would say aside from you know that stuff is it's just those one on one conversations that you get to have when people come in and say hey sure you got a second mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Right. I just want to talk something. I just want to get it off my chest. Um, one of one of the big times was 
when the COVID vaccine became mandated, right? I had a lot of people in my office, right, that were having a very tough time deciding what to do because, you know, they felt deeply about two conflicting things, right? And that was, you know, personal beliefs about the vaccine and about COVID and things like that and their military career and their, and their drive to serve, right? And so they come to my office and I'm, I'm more than happy to talk through it because I, that's, you have to be able to talk through it, mm-hmm. right? If it, nothing else, just to get your thoughts out and have somebody who's just there to listen, right? I mean, it's, that's, to me, that's the most rewarding because when people come to me, that's when I, I, right, it's, I enjoy it, right? Because they trust me enough to know that I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to try and steer their decision one way or another, although that is a little bit different. Um, but at least I want to hear you out, right? And, and give validity to the personal conflict that they're experiencing because that is tough, mm-hmm. right? There are, there are, we all have personal beliefs. And in the military, sometimes you don't necessarily get to make decisions based on, you know, decisions are made for you, right? And you have to follow them. And, you know, it, it may be in conflict sometimes with personal beliefs and just kind of talking through those things and how do you manage that? It's a hard, hard thing. Mm-hmm. We struggled with that for the last two and a half years, yep. two years. And that is the fact that we've got things that we have to follow. And mm-hmm. people not ever wearing a military uniform will say, well, don't you just follow orders? Yeah. Well, yes, we do. But every human being behind an order that is following that order has feelings about it. Yep. And we don't always get it right when we give them. Mm-hmm. But the ability to have a person in a role that has the heart and the compassion to just listen mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. um, is so critical to keeping our good people here with a feeling that this is a good place to serve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Got to follow orders, and sometimes you don't agree with them, but you will. Yep. If you feel heard, you'll feel okay about it. Yep. Not perfect, but yep. okay. And that's just that's been a hard balance. Having, having first sergeants, having real good supervisors there doing that hard work, um, it has been a challenging couple of years, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're taking the diamond off. I am. It is a significant emotional event. What are you doing now? So now I'm back in security forces, kind of going back home um, as the operations superintendent, which um, I, I never, I didn't anticipate. I always knew I would go back to security forces when mm-hmm. I took the diamond off. I didn't anticipate it being this soon. Um, you know, when you, you think about the progression of your own career, you you sort of have a, you know, a, a vision of how it's going to play out, how you, you know, the, the variables that you think could go this way, it could go that way. I didn't anticipate being um, back here so soon. And it, it was a tough decision to make the transition because I, I loved what I was doing as a first sergeant. I really did. I loved it. I, I got very lucky. LRS is a fantastic squadron with great people to be a part of. Um, so, and it was really hard to, to, to make that decision to, to leave them, um, to go back to security forces. But at the same time, I mean, security forces is, you know, those are the people that I came up with. Those are the people I, I, I grew up with and I, you know, progressed in my career with. Um, and so to have a chance to kind of go back and be that, um, you know, try to be that leadership, leadership voice and leadership person to, you know, lead a squadron of, mm-hmm. of, of my peers. Um, 
I couldn't pass up on the opportunity. I'm going to reintroduce you. We're going to take a break and unpack that a little bit. I've been talking with the 133rd Airlift Wing's first sergeant of the year, Master Sergeant Brian Dobler. We're going to take a quick break, hear an important message, and we will be right back, so please stick around. Hey everybody, Chief Legbold here. Wanted to take a moment to introduce you to a wonderful resource that we all have available to us called MilitaryOneSource.mil. If you're old like me and you plug in MilitaryOneSource.com, it'll just bring you to the .mil webpage. So Military One Source is the one to remember. It's got all kinds of great information on military life cycle, education and employment, health and wellness, family relationships, you name it you can find it and it is a free resource for military members. If you're a podcast fan of this one and others, they also have several podcasts that you can access through militaryonesource.mil and you can listen about uh, to learn about all the resources that you have available to you. So please uh, take a moment, go to militaryonesource.mil. Let's get back to First Sergeant Dobler. I've been talking with the 133rd Airlift Wing's first sergeant of the year, Master Sergeant Brian Dobler, now the Security Forces Superintendent. So you're moving in back into your original career field. Let's talk about career transition and what your goals are, and maybe relate this back to what your goals were when you became a first sergeant and mm -hmm. moved into. Mm -hmm. Because you've been gone from security forces for a while, and there's a there's a churn and a turnover. Mm -hmm. You're going to be dealing with hugely, strangers hugely yeah. what are your goals well that's a that's a big question and i'm not doing the job interview anyway no i know you got I, that no i know i you know and, and i'll talk about a little bit what i talked about in my or spoke about in my boards um you know with so many new people i'm kind of back at square one and i alluded it i alluded to it earlier you know with so many new people i mean it is amazing the turnover in two and a half years in a squadron um, of how many new phases there are. I mean, it's astounding. But so I'm kind of back at square one, right? I, I need to let them get to know who I am, right? Mm -hmm. How I how I go about my my business. Um, but this is a, this is a little bit of a different challenge. It's it's similar to the transition to being a first sergeant because now you know I'm again a part of a part of a leadership team, right? And so I'm going into it with the mentality that. You know, the the position I'm in is really kind of the conduit between leadership and the enlisted force. And it's it's easy to sit back and because I, I I remember what it was like being a staff sergeant, being a tech sergeant, and seeing the the things that are being done right at the leadership level and how it impacts me, right, and having the short sighted of well that's that's just bullshit. I remember you when you were a staff sergeant. Yeah, I bet you do. Right yes, now. yes. <laughs> um, and so it's it's easy to kind of get into that, and, and it's it's funny how your eyes open. You know, the more you're exposed to that higher level um, strategic thinking and long term thinking and development of people and development of a squadron. And so, I my goal my goal is really to is to shed some light on that. Right for these younger airmen and for the staff sergeants and the techs, um, and to kind of do it both ways. Right, uh, one of the big things that I talked about in my boards for this position was, as leaders, we need to think about what is the airman experience like. What's their experience? The decisions that we make directly impact them, right? 
And one of the things, and I was just having a conversation with um, with Major Wallen um, about this. We were just kind of talking philosophically. Is that, you know, do we need to know? Do we need to know why decisions are made? Do we need to know all of the all the variables and the limiting factors and things like that that go into leadership decisions? And the answer, by and large, is no. You don't. You just need to know what time to show up, where to show up, and what do you need? By and large, is that what you need? Yes. Is that really what we should be providing? No. Right? Because this generation, and I'm I'm part of it. Right? I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed millennial. Right? I really am. Well, good for you. Yeah, I am. You're doing a great job at it, Thank too, you. buddy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the airman experience, right, is is they, they want to know these things, right? Yeah. I mean, we live in the information age, right? I can tell you, you can ask me any question, and it'll take me a couple minutes to find it on my phone, right? But I have the access to that information. So to deprive, not necessarily deprive, I shouldn't use deprive, um, but to, with, to, to expect that we can just share, this is the decision, right? Deal with it, mm-hmm. right? It's just, a, it's, it doesn't lead to a good airman experience. Um, and so really, you know, that's, that, that then leads into retention, right? It leads into development, all of those things. And so that's really, if my goal is really to kind of develop that communication highway, yeah, right? Between the airmen and the, the junior NCOs, right? And the officers. I mean, I really feel like that's, that's, um, you know, if th- that's, that's my role. And that's really my goal is, is I want to, I want to think about it from the, from the aspect of, um, of airman experience. Yeah. And giving yeah. giving them the why as much as you possibly can. So when you Absolute. can't Absolute. give them the why. Absolutely. They understand yep. you just can't. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So important. And I, I appreciate the fact that you're kind of branding that as the airman experience. Mm-hmm. Because now you're old. Uh, tell you're, me about it. You're the millennial guy that's in a leadership position. And we have this new, exciting generation coming into the military. And it, they are an exciting batch mm-hmm. but they're going to see through any inauthenticity in a mm-hmm. heartbeat mm-hmm. I, and i love that about them mm-hmm. because it challenges us as the old people in the organization to just do better yep just Absolutely. do better um one of the things that we know about you is this is a family legacy it is yeah and dad served in this organization he did your organization yes he your, did your brother serves in the guard where did that ethos of military service come from in your family? All the way to the point where when somebody graduates from high school, they wear their junior ROTC uniform for their senior picture. How does that happen <laughs> in a family? You're welcome. Oh, boy. Somebody brought that up to me this morning. and mm. Yeah, awesome. Um, it really, I think, stems from, because I'm, because Three generations, I should say four generations, because my both my nephews are now in the Navy. Um, but both my grandfathers, my mom's, my maternal grandmother, all served in the Air Force during Korea. My dad served uh, 21 years in the Air Force, right here in the in in the Guard and um, Security Forces. And so for me, it was it was always always around airplanes. Right, my my grandpa loves airplanes. My dad loves airplanes. Yeah. Right, I was just kind of fascinated by flight, that kind of thing. Um, and they all obviously had the the military history that they enjoyed, and so I just naturally picked that stuff up, which 
was a natural transition to when I got to high school, there was an ROTC program. I wanted to do that. I enjoyed that. I had, a, I really did enjoy that. Yes. Yes, I did wear my junior ROTC. My, I was in my dress blues for my senior photo. Very nice. Yep, it's okay. I still stand by it proudly. I still wouldn't change it. Um, but that's really kind of where it comes from. And then, you know, you have my brother who decides, I'm going to be the... I'm going to be the um, alter ego here, and I'm going to go join the Army. Have fun with that. Um, and he's, he's going on 15 years in the Army. Good for him. Yep, which is awesome. Um, I'm proud as hell of him. So it, that's really kind of where, where it comes from. Um, you know, and my dad tried like hell to get me to do something other than security forces. He really did. You know, it, you know, being a junior ROTC kid, you have this grandiose vision of what the real Air Force is like. And, you know, his words, I can still hear him saying it. The Air Force is not this well-oiled machine like you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you will see. Soon enough, young grasshopper. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, and I did. I tried to go. I tried to go into a different career field, but it didn't, didn't take. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's been great. I mean, the thing, you know, I've been coming out to this base since I was, a kid. Mm -hmm. My dad enlisted in 1980. I was born in 1984, and I've been coming out here all my life, basically, um, which is kind of funny as I, as I near the near the uh, rounding third base of my career. Yeah, facing career mortality, mm -hmm. as somebody once referred to it. And yeah. this is the week to be at this particular wing because mm -hmm. all of our crab apple trees are blossoming, yeah, and the place smells like life. You think of a a military organization and a military base and you know I get it people that have never served have come up to me and asked me questions about this podcast hey this is the most beautiful campus of mm -hmm. any military base I've ever seen it's a fantastic place and people bring their families out here mm -hmm. and it, I will think of it fondly as I go to Camp Ripley tomorrow there you go another beautiful place another in the state of Minnesota place. Um, this place has given you a lot of skills and a lot of career opportunities and so much expertise in dealing with human beings and you've you've taken that and you became a police officer in St. Paul but you left that job. I did. Why? Mm, that's a good question. So talking about career transition, um, I, I left the police department for a myriad of reasons. Chief among them being we were starting a family when I found out, when we found out that we were um, pregnant with our first Grady, I had one of those. I had one of those sort of how do I want my life to go kind of moments. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, having a having a dad that was in the military, right, working all the time, going to school all the time, a police officer, right. I knew what it was like to be a son of of that kind of father, right. Yep. yep. And it was. Um, I kind of had that moment like, do I want to, do I want to be that kind of, do I want to have kids that have that same experience? Don't get me wrong, right? I had a great childhood, but it really came down to now that I'm going to be a father, what kind of relationship, what kind of, what kind of lifestyle do I want for me and my family? Yeah. Um, and that's really kind of where the ball started to roll downhill. Um, and I say that because the environment changed. I became a police officer in 2011. Um, shortly after that, Ferguson occurred mm -hmm. with Mike Brown. 
and that it was a paradigm shift. And it was, I was f- kind of starting to face the, the reality as all, as all young cops do, right? That I'm not invincible. I am mortal. And there are a lot of risks in this job and some very, very, very serious consequences for things going south mm-hmm. in this job. Um, and I was kind of faced with those cons- those potential consequences were changing. And I tell people this a lot. I'm okay with the risk of being hurt, stabbed, shot, killed. I'm okay with those, right, to serve the community. I really am. But when things started to change to now, right, that officer's name is front page in every newspaper around the world, the addresses of your kids' schools, your your wife's work, right, your parents' house, right, things like that. And now they're starting to face the brunt of some consequences, right, for actions that you're taking on the job, right, whether they be right or wrong, right? I mean, that's <clears throat> that's the reality, right, is it's such a difficult job to begin with, right? And sometimes as a police officer, you have to do things that on the surface to an to someone who isn't privy to all the information can look very bad. I, there was a commander that worked at St. Paul and he said, use of force never looks good to somebody who's watching as a disinterested third party. It never looks good. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of thing, you could be completely justified in your actions, right? But now, because of social media and things like that, your actions now look even worse because those visited those videos can be edited mm-hmm. to tell whatever story they want. And now the consequences of those actions are not just you getting hurt, you getting shot, right? Things like that. Now you're potentially talking about threats against your children, threats against your family members, and those and that really kind of skewed the risk reward mm-hmm. balance for me. Um, and I kind of had this moment where I I I sought the I, I I did I sought the counsel of a lot of the senior officers that I worked with, and I asked them a very simple question: If you could go back to being thirty years old and having less than ten years on this job, would you still be here? And it was a resounding no. It is hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. Right. And so I kind of had that moment where I said I had better make my decision now, and live with it either way. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, obviously in counsel with my wife, she had to be 100% on board with it. And she, again, right, she told me, she said verbatim, she said, you can go be a garbage man or you could go be the president of the United States and I support you no matter what. Okay. So now I have the freedom, right, to know that I have the support at home yeah. to go and try and be who I want to be, right? And at that, at that point in my life, I know that I'm only 30 years old. 30 years old seems old when you're 22, yeah. right? But not when you're 65, right? I'm not 65 and 30-year-old still, it seems pretty young. Yeah, it does, <laughs> right? Yep. And so that's kind of how I think about it, right? What is, what is the 60, 65-year-old me, what would they want me to do? So the 65-year-old you is going to look back at where you are now, and they're going to see a workplace violence prevention case manager same question as first question. Mm-hmm. What is it you say you mm-hmm. do here? What is that job? It's a phenomenal job. It really is. Because and it is not a military job. It's this not is a military in job. corporate America. This is corporate America. Yep. Um, 
at a large financial institution that is headquartered right here in Minneapolis. This does not sound like a job that shareholders and people that are beholden to profits would encourage? Mm -hmm. um, well, the job itself, um, on the surface, you know, it, it sounds a lot like trying to manage, um, you know, essentially risk of active shooters, things like that, but it's actually much deeper than that um, because the workplace is changing, right? And the days of you, the company cares about your productivity and that's it, Yeah. right? Is changing. Yeah. And for the better because corporations are now starting to, not necessarily starting to, but they're really embracing the fact that these people have lives outside of this job, right? And we want to support that, right? And we want to give them what they need so that they could be successful while they're here, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that means that our employees are going to be involved in domestic violence situations. They could potentially have feelings of potential self-harm or suicide. Um, they could have other situations where someone wants to do them harm, right? And so we'll, we'll talk about domestic violence because um, it's the majority of what of what we what we manage. So in my role, my job is to be a partner and be a supporter and an advocate for employees who are involved in domestic violence situations. We understand that this is something that generally occurs behind closed doors, at home, things like that, but it does have a direct impact with the workplace because many employees who are involved in situations like that are finding it harder to manage, right, daycare drop-off, right, day-to-day -day life, showing up on time, potentially productivity, right, because their mind is potentially elsewhere, right, while they're trying to manage this, this difficult time in their life. And so from, from a risk perspective also, um, let's talk statistics for a minute. The most dangerous time for a domestic violence victim is when they are trying to leave their abuser. Mm -hmm. And for many of the people who try to leave a, uh, an abuser at home, they're trying to conceal where they're going, but they have to go to work. And so it's an easy place for them to find the person that they're looking for, yeah. right? And so that's a direct risk that, that companies have to manage. Um, and so that's really kind of where we, we come in is, is, is number one, to support the employee, right? Provide them with resources, provide them with safety tips, assess kind of where they're at, what the situation is, what the potential risk factors are, um, and what mitigating factors there are, but also to develop sort of a threat management plan and help them navigate those waters, those very difficult waters. It sounds a lot like first sergeant work. It is. It very sounds much so. a little like police work. It is. What a good mix for you. Very much so. I love it. Can you explain what hashtag charge short rib is? <laughs> um, hashtag, sh I mean, charge short rib is actually my Twitter handle. Um, I, in the last, I'd say since I met my wife, um, I've really gotten into cooking and Short ribs are one of my absolute favorite things to cook, especially during the winter months. Um, and the first key, the, the biggest thing when cooking short ribs correctly is you've got to sear the meat on the outside so that it maintains the, the moisture content inside the meat. And so the key to a good short rib 
is getting that good char on it. So that's the Twitter handle. That's the Twitter handle. Next time I twit, I'll tweet. I don't. Yep. <laughs> I don't really tweet either. Okay, let's, on there. let's play some short answer, shall we? Okay. Thanks for going into what you do on the civilian side, too. People don't really get how much our traditional guard airmen and soldiers do. Mm -hmm. And balancing everything, especially on the emotional side, is so is so key, just communicating that. So thank you. Um, okay, short answer. <sighs> Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. Guilty Pleasure TV show. The first 48. Best place to vacation with kids. Anywhere in Florida. Spotted Cow or Miller Lite? Spotted Cow, all day. Favorite boy band from the 90s? Um, from the 90s. Can I say Metallica? They're not a boy they're band traditionally. They're not a boy band. No, they're a group of boys. They're a group of guys, though. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right, fine. I'll, uh, in sync. Just because I am a big, I, I, I do enjoy Justin Timberlake's music. How can you not? Yep. My wife would agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Online dating advice. Mm, be yourself. That's That worked for you. No, it did. Yeah. Yep. I met my wife on Match.com. Um, and it's, sorry, I know we're doing short answer. I was about to de that, delve into it. That's okay. Be yourself. That is always good advice. Mm -hmm. All right. So... People don't necessarily know this about you, but you graduated from St. Cloud State University, right? Not yet. You're going there. I'm going That's there. right. That's where you're getting your master's degree, Correct. right? Master's in? Business administration. Business administration. So one of the people that graduated from St. Cloud State a long time ago, Ralph Heimdall. Do you know him? Nope. You probably know his work. Hmm. So you and Ralph are sitting around drinking a spotted cow. He is the original illustrator of Bugs Bunny. Oh, very Perhaps. cool. If you sitting there chatting with him and you said hey Ralph I want you to draw a cartoon character of me what would you be <sighs> the guy that does, does Bugs Bunny yeah um, I would want to be a bear why because they're always looking for their next meal boy I tell you I'm mm -hmm. with you on that mm -hmm. one <laughs> yep that would be me good good charred short rib good charred short rib absolutely mm -hmm. um so speaking of your master's degree, you you have three busy boys. You have very much so a very busy family, a good relationship with your wife, a busy civilian career, and now you're taking on a new role out here at the guard base. What do you do to relax and how do you manage work life balance? That's a great question because that is something my wife and I have been talking about extensively. That's a struggle every every it's, airman, every soldier, every human is. being goes through. It is. And everything's kind of coming to a head, right, with grad school, guard, right, LRE, going to Ripley this week. Megan's going to listen to this and be very interested in She is. Answer. Well, trust me, we talk about this extensively. Yep. We really do. Yep. Because her and I have both gone through these times in our lives where we have just packed our plate full. Mm -hmm. And hers occurred a couple years ago. Um and she just got to a point where she says, I need to simplify things. I can't dedicate time to this and this and this and be a mother, right? And be a wife and, you know what I mean, in yeah. all of these things. Yeah. And I am very quickly getting to that point too. 
thankfully, several of those things have I'm 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 towards the end of. I have one year left of grad school. I'll graduate next May. Yeah. I have 18 years of service to this country in this in this unit. So you do the math, right? I mean, it's got a little one of those little squiggly lines that says roughly yeah. two years. Yeah. Depending on how things go. Um, but right now, it's I have to, and I'm not that good at it. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, is compartmentalize. Right, dedicate this time to this, mm-hmm. um, with a full time job. And when I started grad school, I just thought, okay, great. Any time that I'm not working is grad school time. And Megan says, I I can't do this without you. <laughs> Dinner and baths and yeah. baseball and all this other stuff. And so she, you know, she very clearly, you know, and and, and said, I, I need your help. And that's I think such a huge thing because. I said, you're right, absolutely, a hundred percent. I, I can't just, I can't just not be a husband. I can't just not be a father because I'm in grad school and things like that. So, we we have had that partnership, and you know, and I'm always happy to cook dinner. Um, we we share that responsibility very evenly. So, when you're doing the thing, do the thing, and that's I, I'm not the best at that because I am a procrastinator. I really am at heart. And so it's it's difficult for me to do that. Really, really focus on it because my mind's got that list of I've still got to get this and this and this and this done. Um, so there are there are things that definitely suffer, but that's how I try to do it. Um, and when you've got the moments to to hang out with the boys or hang out with with the spouse or hang out with with Megan, do those things mm-hmm. and Don't, be in it. Be in it. Yeah. Be present. True. Hey, this. Podcast is right at the end of May. Memorial Day is coming up, and your family's done a lot of military service. Rounding things out, what message do you have for people that are thinking about serving, have served, or are serving as we roll into Memorial Day? Um, when I left the police department, Megan asked me. She goes, "Do you think you're going to have? Is it going to be hard for you to hand in your badge and gun?" I thought about it. I'm like, no, not really. You're really not. And it wasn't. I slid those things across the table and said, you guys can have them. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye. And I never looked back. Yeah. And then about six months later, um, she asked me the same thing about this uniform. I said, I can't. I can't part with that. I just can't. It's something I believe in so so deeply. And so for the people that are looking to serve, if you have the opportunity to, it is such a phenomenal thing to we all have our reasons for serving right and I trust me I have gotten a a ton of benefits out of being here both intrinsically and extrinsically but for me it's you know when I, when you boil it down to its core right it's just about being a, being a part of something bigger than yourself yeah. you know and that's it's it's hard to see that at times right when you're in, in the thick of things um, but it's that's really kind of what it it's boiled down to. And if you have the opportunity, do it, because you will get so much life experience. You'll learn so much about people. You'll get to know some such fantastic people. My closest friends are here, period. My closest friends are here. Dustin Bone is like my brother. I mean, literally, he is like my brother. Um, and in you know, in in just all of those tremendous relationships that you build that can come into. That can that could just develop. I mean, 
when Bill Hildebrand and I met, mm-hmm. Bill Hildebrand and I went to tech school together. We were in the same team in tech school. Hated him. And he hated me. Mm-hmm. Couldn't stand him. Now he's one of my best friends. Yeah. One of my best friends. And so just for nothing else, get some life experience, get to know some people, right? It will it will benefit you the rest of your life. And you might the- sell me on re-enlisting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would love to see you stay. Mm. A lot of people would. I, um, that's what it's about for me. Yeah. So when when people say thank you for your service, I I struggle I because too. the place is so darn enjoyable. Yep. Yeah, there's sacrifices that go with it, and our families bear the brunt of a lot of it. But I tell you what, it's a heck of a fun gig. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Dobler, thanks for joining me on Beneath the Wing. I appreciate the, the time. This fuss has been so great, and thank you for taking your commitment to the airman experience to uh, your old home Mm -hmm. and adding that to our organization here and sprinkling a little first sergeant magic dust out in corporate America. Um, We appreciate the work that you do. Um, Hey, uh, before we close out here, I would like to thank um, my team that's helping me put these together. David Gindorf, Jared Smith for helping me do background research and develop questions. And as always, the fantastically talented Amy Lovegren for producing Thanks for joining me on Beneath the Wing. Hope you join me next time for episode 31, where we talk to another one of our awesome 133rd members. Take care. Happy Memorial Day.